Hi, I'm Olivia, and welcome to On the Rocks, a limited series podcast designed to give it to you straight up. Because life is kind of weird, and I'm honestly just trying to figure mine out. Each conversation you hear will aim to expand your mindset and empower you to trust yourself as you move through your own lives. I'm happy you're here. Hello. Ah, We are like ending the series soon. I just got off of the last podcast interview, which will be coming in a couple weeks. And I'm so excited for you all to hear it. Um, I hope your Tuesday is treating you well. We are like, what, halfway, one third of the way into March now, which feels crazy. I was just talking to somebody about how I'm like such a hibernator throughout winter. I I told Thomas at the beginning of the winter season, I was like, I am not actively going to be making any friends until the springtime because I don't know. There's just something about being quiet and hibernating and being a hermit during winter that I love. And I don't feel this intense like desire to go and make new friends and go and do shit, especially when it's cold and it's raining. And now, of course, that's coming to an end. I'm like, maybe I can wait another six months to make friends, but I'm I'm going to stay strong. I'm going on a friend date this week, which I'm excited about. But I'm like, oh, don't want to go out of my comfort zone for making friends. Another thing that's new and exciting in my life. Well, okay. First thing is I turned 30 a few days ago from the time I'm recording this. And I expected it to be like way bigger of a deal and way more, I don't know, prominent of a day in my life than it really was. And I think mainly it was because I really played it down, but also because we just kind of expect like so much to change the minute we turn 30. And nothing's changed. Everything's the same. I'm at the same place I was the day before I turned 30 when I was 29. And I don't know. It's just funny to think about how I was kind of so sure that the minute I turned 30, all of these things were going to pop up for me and nothing really did. And I'm just still kicking. And I spent such a lovely birthday weekend with Tom. We went to Sonoma Wine Country for the big wino over here. I really just wanted to go to Sonoma for the food and because I wanted to do a big bike ride through wine country because even though I don't enjoy wine myself and literally before I didn't drink alcohol, I hated wine. The only thing I liked was Sauvignon Blanc, like a really crisp white soft Blanc, Kim Crawford specifically, which is also very cheap at Trader Joe's. But I just kind of did that to look cool and it was like the closest tasting thing to water. So anyway... Though I don't enjoy wine, I think wine country is so beautiful. And we had the most beautiful bike ride. We went 30 miles for my 30th and my leg was numb for like the last 10 miles of it, but I was just feeling so good and trying to reflect on the last 30 years. And I got no reflection done because I was just afraid about a car coming and hitting me head on. So anyway, it was a great birthday. And then the other big thing that's happening in my life right now is that I just started watching The Last of Us on HBO because I felt FOMO. I don't know why I didn't start it when everyone else did. I'm usually really on this ship, but I was not on it. We just started it. We finished five episodes in two days. When I tell you that I was literally sobbing for an hour when I watched episode three, an hour. It was so beautiful, so poignant, so lovely. That's really all I have to say. If you haven't watched it, you should go watch it. This is a shameless plug for you to watch The Last of Us. This isn't an HBO ad. Though if HBO did want to sponsor me, I would gladly take that on because that would be like the most aligned partnership of my life. Okay, 
shall we get to the actual podcast? I'm so excited. This is something that I think is going to be, I know because I've listened to the conversation, but it's a really different type of conversation. And I was really excited to bring these guys on to talk to me. So I was on TikTok like six months back and I saw this person talking about mindful drinking and it really resonated with me. And then I saw that the TikTok was from this mindful drinking app called Sunnyside. And I was so intrigued. And then I ended up getting in contact with the creators and owners of the app. And they are so cool. We all live in San Francisco, which is really fun. And they're great. They're creating this app to help people drink more mindfully that kind of under the pretense and under the intention that they don't expect everybody's going to want to stop drinking. But they themselves have had experiences with alcohol and how alcohol has played a role in their lives. And it has in turn inspired them to drink less and cut back. And they kind of wanted a tool to help them do that. So they created one. We get into all about the app and what it's about and also their backstories, who they are, why they created this specific app for people. And we just have fun. It was like a good, fun conversation. They're really cool. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Nick and Ian from Sunnyside. And then of course, if you want to rate or subscribe to this podcast, that is a great way to help. But the biggest way to help this podcast is to share episodes with your friends. If you think anything might motivate them or inspire them or just make them feel good and laugh, please share. Without further ado, Nick and Ian from Sunnyside. Hello, everyone, and welcome to On the Rocks. We are sitting down today with Nick Allen and Ian Anderson, co-founders of the mindful drinking app, Sunnyside, an alternative for those looking to drink a little less without quitting entirely. Nick and Ian, thanks for being here. Hi, really excited to be here. Thanks for having us. I'm so excited to talk to you too. I found Sunnyside through TikTok, actually. I think your your ads are really working on a TikTok for me. And I was so interested because I had kind of heard somebody talking about my drinking and this idea of it not being black and white and all or nothing. So I went to your page, I researched it a little bit, and I just thought that your app, Sunnyside, was such a cool idea, which is why I wanted to bring you guys on and chat about all things apps, alcohol, etc. But I want to hear about you first. I always like to kind of start the initial stages of my podcast off with learning about the person, how alcohol has impacted their lives, how it fits into your life currently, how it fit into your life in the past. And yeah, so just like a general conversation. And I would love to hear, like, let us know who you are for the for everybody listening and give us a little story. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll kick off. Um, I'm Nick Allen. I'm the, the founder and CEO of Sunnyside, uh, alongside Ian Anderson, uh, my, my co-founder. So I have a, a kind of long history of, of my own personal relationship with alcohol, you know, dating back to, to when I was a, a kid, really. Um, I grew up in a household with, with two parents who um, have been in recovery from alcoholism for most of my life. And my parents actually made the decision pretty early on in, in my childhood that alcohol really didn't have a place in their lives and, and was a big enough problem that they decided that it was you know, the right choice for them to cut down to zero. Um, and what that meant for me as kind of a, a young kid and, and kind of growing up is I had two parents that were sober and were going to AA meetings and were really kind of being conscious about uh, the community around the choice that they had made to kind of remove a part of their, of, of their lives that was, that was no longer serving them. What that meant for me is I was kind of, you know, growing up and reaching my teenage years, I grew up in San Francisco. It was a little bit of a, a fast-paced, you know, urban lifestyle. And I started kind of experimenting for myself with, with alcohol pretty early on. 
And my parents, instead of, you know, to their credit, um, instead of really kind of trying to enforce, you know, the, the sober lifestyle on me or kind of push uh, their choices onto me and then really kind of prevent me from drinking, instead, they really kind of embraced teaching me about the reasons that they had made the choices that they, that they did, some of the risk factors that, that, you know, they observed in me as I was kind of starting to experiment for, for myself. Um, and rather than kind of, you know, being really draconian or kind of pushing me to, to, to not ever kind of make the same mistakes they did, Instead, they helped to instill in me um, an awareness about my, my own kind of t- tendencies and about kind of the impact that alcohol can have if, if really left unchecked or if, if not thoughtfully managed. And so kind of from the very early days of my own exploration with alcohol, I had this input that was extremely helpful for me to observe the role that alcohol was playing in my life and do my best over the course of, of my own development to keep it in a place that was, that was more balanced for me. Um, and now fast forward, you know, 15 plus years later since I've had since I had my first drink. And to this day, you know, complete sobriety has never really felt like the right fit for me, even though I know that I, I have tendencies, you know, similar to those that my parents had. And if I'm not being thoughtful about my consumption, it's pretty easy for me to overdo it. And so Sunnyside was really born from the idea of wanting to keep my own relationship with drinking front of mind um, while also, you know, not wanting to kind of go the route of of kind of all or nothing or or really feeling nest- like like my lifestyle necessitated that that I cut alcohol out entirely, and so this is really kind of the the formating the formulating um, kind of insight that, that drove me to to found Sunnyside was you know a time in my life a few years ago where I was finding my drinking was kind of creeping up and getting a little bit out of balance, seeking out a solution in the market to you know hopefully kind of help me manage my drinking in the way that I learned to manage you know calories and exercise and mindfulness as a component of my overall wellness routine and basically finding that there was this massive concentration of apps focused on this all or nothing sobriety concept and really nothing out there to, to kind of help me manage and balance my consumption with no pressure to get to zero. Uh, and so that's kind of myself and, and a little bit of the, the Sunnyside founding story kind of uh, rolled up into, into one. And I'll hand over to Ian who can uh, share his story as well. Yeah, thanks, Nick. So my name is Ian Anderson. I'm the co-founder at Sunnyside um, along with Nick. And my history with alcohol as well is, is quite complicated and, and starts at a very young age. I think the foundation of where the story starts is actually with my grandparents and the family that goes back even further. So um, there's been alcohol issues in my, in my family on both sides for uh, generations. And uh, parents both came from families with alcoholism. My dad's parents both died from alcohol-related issues. My mom's mom, my grandma, I don't think I ever met her, also suffered from uh, severe alcoholism that really alienated her from her family. And uh, I believe her death was also complicated with alcohol. So this is sort of the setup for my parents. So they met and um, they had me and my twin brother. And as I understand it, shortly after or several years after we were born, they both kind of took their own paths uh, using alcohol. Um, I think my mom was more of a stay-at-home closeted alcoholic, and her issues and dependencies escalated very quickly to the point that she wasn't really able to do much else. I'm, I'm covering several years here. My dad, on the other hand, was uh, became sort of the breadwinner, if you will, but he would use alcohol in the evenings to unwind. And um, there's a lot within those years that my dad has explained to me. It gets it goes through ways. It gets more complicated, but it sort of ends up hitting a pinnacle around nine when I was nine years old. And my mom, uh, essentially her, her alcoholism got so bad that my dad took us out of the house and he got sober, uh, cold Turkey. 
And that's when their paths really took different, their lives took different paths. My dad went cold turkey. He's, he got support from AA, but for the most part, it was also an individual journey for him himself, something he knew that he just had to do. And my mom, on the other hand, she secluded herself from her family, much like her mom, and ended up dying two years later from liver failure due to alcoholism. So these are pretty dark stories, but I, I think it's okay to bring up on your podcast specifically. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think it's okay to say this because I know that a lot of people share similar stories to mine, maybe not as grave, but just about everyone that we talk to in our journey has some derivative of that in, in their life. So I didn't drink alcohol until I was a senior, uh, like very end of high school. Um, and then I quickly enjoyed it in college and in, in my adult life. But it's always been overshadowed by a complicated relationship. Like, am I doing this right? Am I doing this wrong? Um, Nick, you've, I've heard your story before, but I've, I've also just now realized that you had sort of an educational aspect coming from your parents. Um, I had none of that. My, my dad's mm-hmm. label as an alcoholic sort of made him shameful to talk. It felt shameful for him to talk about it for his whole life. So we didn't really have a foundation of education. But what we did have was siblings that were open to talking about it and supporting each other and making sure that we didn't fall into those trappings. So fast forward to today, I, I too, like Nick, found myself at a place where I was drinking more than I wanted to around 2018. It, it got wound up with the startup lifestyle mm. and I, I was enjoying it, but I, I didn't like the way that I felt. I wasn't sleeping well. I, I wasn't actually like in shape the way that I usually liked to be. So I took three months off and really just did a, a strong reset. And ever since then, I think I've probably been drinking less and less every year. And my current attitude, I would say, is I value sleep and rest <laughs> way, way more yeah. than um, the the little bit of buzz that alcohol gives me. So I think I'm per- personally on a path to like trying to go lower than the CDC guidelines <laughs> uh, on on weekly recommendations personally. Yeah, the CDC guidelines on weekly recommendations are kind of hilarious. I look at those and I'm like, oh my God, like, I don't know what they are off the top of my head. You guys probably know, but I'm like, oh, 18 drinks per week. Like this doesn't really seem like a modern amount of alcohol. Thank you both so much for sharing your stories, both incredibly interesting. And I think really sets you up to have, you know, so much feeling behind why you created this app, which I really love. And I think you guys can both empathize with why people are wanting to be more mindful with their drinking. I will say, you know, I just moved to San Francisco like two months ago. I went to college in the East Bay and it's so crazy because everyone filtered from Berkeley to San Francisco after college and everyone was like joining startups. We graduated in 2015. So it was like that was the big time with like keg stands in the office. You were just like drinking at three o'clock on Fridays and it was so a part of the culture. I remember I ended up moving home and I remember feeling so much FOMO because right. I couldn't like go to the office and have beer every day. Mm-hmm. And it's so crazy how normalized it was to just like get drunk at work, at least here in this city. And it's still like now that we're going out and I think you guys might both be based in San Francisco currently, mm-hmm. but yeah. like, you know, we've been, we just moved here. We've been going out on the weekends. And I'm like, oh my God, shit has not really changed. Like it is wild to watch people who I went to school with, were 10 years out of college, who are just like still getting fucked up, which is totally yeah. fine. And I'm I'm not one to kind of like judge or put any judgment on somebody because maybe they're it's their birthday and they wanna, you know, have a good night. But it's wild to see that that culture 
hasn't necessarily shifted a ton, at least in this specific city. Do you have any thoughts on that living in San Francisco? Yeah, I think it's really interesting because on the one hand, it feels like, you know, all everything stays the same. But on the other end, I think, you know, being embedded in this space and really thinking and, and living and breathing mindful drinking, you know, we are seeing the wave grow towards folks kind of really reevaluating it and wanting to make a change uh, when it comes to their relationship with alcohol. And so I think, you know, five years ago, when, when you really kind of looked at the business scene and when you looked at the social scene in San Francisco and more broadly, you know, it really did revolve around alcohol. And as we kind of look forward and kind of, you know, assess where we are today, you know, there's a ton more science that's coming out that's that's being picked up by the New York Times and, and, and other major publications talking about the impact that even a little bit of alcohol can have on, on just kind of the broad outcomes around kind of short-term wellness and long-term health. There's tons of kind of, you know, celebrities who are jumping in with no and, and low alcohol beverages who are starting to really champion this idea that you can kind of socialize and drink without, without kind of, you know, needing to get totally slammed. And we're also actually seeing kind of the, the like research and policy community shift towards, you know, mindfulness and really starting to build awareness around, you know, the benefits of, of a more balanced and mindful relationship with drinking. So we're definitely not there yet. And I think binge drinking culture is deeply ingrained in our society and, and it's going to take a while to kind of shake that loose. But us kind of being at the forefront, like we, we really do see the movement starting to grow. And, and I think we're, we're approaching a tipping point where, it's going to start being cool to not be fucked up, even if you're drinking, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's super cool, actually. I don't know. Like, even when I'm at bars and I tell people like, oh, I don't drink alcohol, they're like, oh, that's amazing. They always want to learn more. And they're kind Mm -hmm. of like pushing their drink away, talking to me about it. I'm like, okay, let's go. Like, I think I'm the cool one now. Uh, And it's not not like, oh, why? You you must have a problem. Like, what happens, right? Right. I I wanted to chime in here really quick because your thoughts about San Francisco and the drinking culture here spark a lot of personal uh, memories. And I'll just throw out this this one time that I was on a like a little company retreat with my marketing team. And I, I told them, I'm not going to drink. And like, of course, you're everyone drinks when you're on an offsite retreat. And the first per- thing that someone said to me is, oh, Ian, but you're so much fun when you drink. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, that's why I'm taking time <laughs> off of drinking. Because like, that is not the person that I want to be thought of as like the life of the party, which I have never thought of myself as, but if anyone thinks that I'm more fun when I drink, I think that's a good sign that I, there's definitely things I can do to um, sort of work on that. And sort of another personal anecdote there is I've made a big, I've made a big shift with my friends personally to connect with them more without alcohol. And I've Mm -hmm. made that like a non uh, hidden agenda uh, in the last couple of years. And Sunnyside was the initial excuse. Um, Nick and I know, like we we walk in somewhere and people are like, oh, the Sunnyside is here. I guess we can't drink. And I, I kid you not, I truly think now that it's become something that people are happy to talk about. And in fact, several of my friends have started using Sunnyside and have touted the benefits of like a more mindful approach to drinking and have, are thankful for that. And now this group of friends that I went to college with and drank a lot with can now approach a drinking situation way more mindfully. Totally. Um, I never thought I'd see that happen. And that's just like, I think it's a combination of my own personal stuff, but like sunny side plus the sort of normalization of mindfulness around alcohol. So I I agree with everything we're saying, like we're only at the start, but it's a, it's really cool to not get weird looks anymore when you say Mm -hmm. you're not drinking. 
and and even at networking events. So so I'm, I've been going to a lot of these kind of like startup tech events, which are free alcohol, and they they always tend to revolve around you know going out on a Tuesday and ending up drinking way more than you want. And like being the person that's ordering soda water and lime, I, I noticed it kind of set an example and cascade to those around me of, of folks realizing mm. like oh like I actually have a busy day tomorrow. Like I don't necessarily need yeah. to have five glasses of wine to like talk to a stranger. And so, right. so just having one person who's catalyzing that conversation and starting to set the example that like, it's okay to not have a drink in hand or to have a soda water with a lime in hand instead, you see that it starts to be contagious with, with the people around you as well. So it's a really fascinating thing to observe the shifting of the default frame from like, everybody has to drink to being more intentional about it. And, and there's so many reasons why that Tuesday glass of wine is just more trouble than it's worth for, for most people, right? Totally. I love everything both of you guys said. And additionally, I'll add on that I've seen so many mocktails on menus at bars and restaurants. And it's so fun to be able to go in. And I actually just went to K Fico last weekend, which is such a great restaurant here in the city. And they just added a non-alcoholic mocktail to the menu. And it was so good. And like, Mm -hmm. I'm having my boyfriend try it. And he's like, oh my God, I think I'm going to get that. And it's kind of like about flavor. It's about taste. Now we have craft mocktails and it doesn't just need to be cocktails. I want to segue into talking about your business and talking about the app Sunny side. I think people are probably like, why are we 17 minutes in? And I don't know about the app. So I need you guys to tell me what it is. What was the purpose of creating an app like this? And of course, a little bit, I'm sure you're going to get into this when you talk about it, but the research surrounding alcohol use that influenced you to create something of this nature. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start and then I'll, um, Ian, feel free to, to jump in if you have anything to add. Um, so at Sunnyside, our mission is to help anyone who drinks alcohol improve their overall health and wellness by being more mindful about when and how much they drink. And the key difference when you kind of look at Sunnyside versus um, the other apps and services in the alcohol health space is that up until this point, there's been a pretty massive concentration of services that are really purpose-built and branded with the mission of, of kind of helping the quote-unquote problem drinker on the path to complete sobriety. And so even the services that are out there that kind of tote themselves as quick or cut back, really when you kind of get one layer in, they're, they're about kind of villainizing alcohol, making you feel not great when you do have a drink, and ultimately pushing you towards a direction of absolute zero. Um, the key insight that we founded Sunnyside around was that there's a massive population of people who are not open or interested in the idea of complete sobriety, um, and yet who can really benefit from being more mindful and thoughtful about when and how much alcohol they consume. And so, you know, left without options up to this point, you know, the vast majority of of heavy drinkers in the U.S. and around the world rely on kind of flaky personal systems to change their drinking or just don't do anything at all, um, leaving this massive kind of extremely high leverage opportunity to improve their overall wellness on the table. Because it turns out that when alcohol is not in balance in in your life, it's really hard to make progress in the other areas of health and wellness that you might be interested in whether it's you know, improving the quality of your sleep, like Ian mentioned, or um, you know, decreasing stress and anxiety, which, which we know alcohol kind of doesn't help with, um, all the way through to um, you know, increasing energy levels, you know, reducing the effects of aging, et cetera. There's, there's so many reasons to be more mindful about alcohol that don't necessitate uh, kind of pushing all the way to zero. And so at Sunnyside, the key thing that makes us different is that we, we explicitly do not focus on sobriety. We're about meeting you where you are on your journey with alcohol and helping you reach your specific goals with a program that's deeply personalized to to you and and that really helps you go from your starting point to your goals. And then more importantly, to maintain those habits for the long term so that you're you're building a new lifestyle and a new system around the way that you drink 
uh, that, that can kind of help put alcohol in its place in your overall wellness uh, for the long term. So we take a really proactive approach. We're, we're trying to kind of bring alcohol into the mainstream wellness conversation and make tracking drinks as kind of common and socially accepted as tracking you know, diet and exercise and mindful minutes and all the other areas of our health that we've, we've really learned to measure and monitor proactively rather than like, you know, waiting for something to become a huge problem in our lives before we do something about it. So we're about, you know, proactive versus reactive. We're about being positive and kind of helping you recognize the benefits of more mindful drinking rather than focus on the negatives and the consequences of, of drinking out of balance and, and really helping folks find, find the balance, whatever that means to them. And for a lot of people, that's, you know, decreasing the frequency with which they drink, right? So cutting out days of the week so that they're introducing some dry days into their schedule. For others, it's kind of trying to work on capping off those big drinking days that make you really feel like crap the next day. Um, and so the, the entire system is really kind of catered to your starting point, your current habits, and the the outcomes that you're really seeking to to achieve. That's so interesting. And I think it's so necessary. I definitely feel like I've talked to a few people about kind of this idea of dry January. We're in January right now. This ed- episode's coming out in March, but I've talked to a few people like in the last month or two about, oh, like, do you think you'd do dry January? And a lot of my friends are like, I really have no interest in giving up alcohol. Like it's not a part of my lifestyle. I don't have a problem with it. But I think that a lot of people are interested in drinking less and knowing how to drink mindfully. And I know you kind of bring up this idea of mindful drinking. So I do want you to explain it in the context of, I mean, what you guys think it is, because in a way I had never really heard of the term mindful drinking until I had seeing the sunny side ad that like came up on my TikTok. But now that I've heard it, I'm like, oh my gosh, it makes so much sense because even for a lot of my friends, it's kind of like, well, you could start the night with a mocktail, go out, grab a glass of wine and then finish with a soda and lime and feel mm-hmm. totally fine, have that drink and move on. And I think so many people, so many more people, it's going to be much more realistic for them to do it that way than it is to do it the way that I did it, where I was like, well, I'm not drinking anymore. That's over. That's my lifestyle. And now it's become mm-hmm. sort of my identity. And that can be a very stressful thing for a lot of people. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think that the labels can be can can work and be really valuable, but they can also be really difficult and, and intimidating for folks that are just looking to get started. And so, you know, we believe that the mindful drinker label is one that, that a lot of people can own and really champion without the pressure of like, I don't drink or I'm an alcoholic on the other side of, of the coin. Um, if, if any label and any identity, we think this mindful drinking um, kind of concept can be something that, that, that really helps bring more people into the fold in a way that doesn't kind of need to be oriented around guilt or have this pressure of kind of, you know, white knuckling it through or, or a single drink breaks the streak, this, this type of mentality that causes a lot of kind of failure thinking and ultimately a lot of kind of problematic relapse. And so if, if it's really about balance and it's about making a conscious choice about when and how much you're going to consume, it becomes a lot more of a forgiving system that, that folks can stick with long term and, and never feel like failures. And that's a really, really critical piece for, for a lot of people who are getting started and aren't really sure kind of what they need to do to make changes to their, to their habits in order to kind of achieve their goals. And so for us, mindful drinking is really about being intentional about every sip and about every drink. And instead of kind of the automated routines of, I got home from a stressful day of work, therefore I open a bottle of wine, or I'm out at a bar, and therefore like as soon as I finish one drink, the next drink has to come into my hand. We really work through a system of planning, daily check-ins, and tracking to help people pause between those drinks 
and pause before starting to drink to make a conscious choice of, do I actually want this? Is this going to bring joy to my life? Or is this something that I'm doing out of kind of complete routine that ultimately isn't serving me anymore? And so when we start to build awareness around these existing automated routines and habits that many of us have and don't even realize around drinking, we're able to rewire ourselves to uh, maximize the enjoyment of alcohol and in doing so also kind of minimize the, the sense of regret, those drinks that you know, really didn't serve us and ultimately lead to those you know, hazy uh, kind of throwaway days that, that I think are probably the biggest short-term down, downside of, of overdoing it. Um, you know, when, when it comes to, to drinking. Great. Ian, do you have anything to add? I just want to make sure you're getting, I don't want to like talk over you. It, if you don't thank you. I appreciate it. No, I, I actually did want to uh, just chime in on something really quick. So, and it, I'm, it's a bit of, I'm jumping back a little bit here, but Nick mentioned the term heavy drinking. And I think it's um, something that's uh, interesting and helpful to clarify what that means, because uh, it's a term that I w- used to never want to call myself. I never wanted to call myself a heavy drinker. But when we understand that it's actually based on the CDC definitions, the current existing ones, if it's 15 drinks or more per week for men and eight per week or more for women. And then there's some nuance around binge drinking. Um, we realize that it's actually not that hard to get into that category. So I just want to make sure that the listeners understand that when we say heavy drinkers, we actually mean people that are pretty much up against the CDC guidelines above those, but also mindful drinking and sunny side is for people that are at a lot lower quantities too maybe uh, hoping just to shift uh, habits that have been built over time. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, Nick's talked a lot about the product and how it works, but I think it's important to like look at actual, what our c- customers actually experience a little bit. And uh, we've talked to, hun- we've had hundreds of thousands of conversations with our members over the last three years or so. And I think what I, what we start, what we really see is that Sunnyside, the way we built Sunnyside is we've made it so easy to dip your toe into alcohol health without feeling scared. It's, it doesn't cost a lot of money. We don't pressure you out the gate. We don't ask you to commit hours up front doing surveys. We, we teach you how to do these really basic habits and uh, educational experiences for the first couple of weeks. And what we see is people come to us and say, I've been having to drink a glass of wine every night for five years you guys actually helped me break my habit. And that's the start that I was looking for. Now I'm like excited to go on this journey. And we, we just, we see hundreds of those sort of little proof points. So just want to like really let people know that it's easy. Uh, and yeah. that, that's our whole goal is to kind of get you hooked on easy alcohol health so that you then can make the change that, that you really want to make. So like, mm-hmm. let's say I was using your app and I just downloaded it. I'm so curious as to kind of what, cause you, you, both of you talked about like the messages you send and kind of how you send check-ins and stuff. So like, let's say I downloaded it hypothetically, I'm drinking like 10 drinks a week. I'm having a glass of wine every night after work and I'm going out and drinking, you know, four or five drinks Friday and Saturday. And I'm just like not feeling super good. So I download the app. What's my experience going to be like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, so the big thing is that the, the experience really varies from person to person based on an onboarding quiz that, that, that you start with. So, so the first day with Sunnyside is really about telling us a little bit more about who you are, kind of where you currently are with your drinking habits and in a safe space. So, you know, with understanding that you're not going to kind of get judgment, no matter if you're at 30 drinks a week or five drinks a week, you know, it's, we're excited to, to work with, with you. Um, but you basically in sharing kind of who you are, where you're at with your drinking, and then really focusing on what your goals are in terms of healthier drinking. So, so what healthy drinking means for you. 
And as I mentioned, for some people that might be, I want to drink fewer days of the week. For others, it might be, I want to avoid those intense drinking days that, that you know, end up tend to happen on the weekends for folks that are kind of more in that like binge drinking uh, mindset. And for some people, it's really just like, I want to monitor and keep tabs on my consumption so that I'm kind of aware of what's, what's going into my body and the impact that it's having. In sharing that information, we are able to basically load up a personalized plan for you from, from day one. And, and the system works week to week with us making recommendations for you for the, plan, for the week ahead in terms of kind of daily drinks that take you from your starting point and taper you down into a place that's, that's more aligned with your long-term goals. And so this idea of kind of upfront planning is a really powerful one in the overall kind of process of more mindful drinking. And it gives us a roadmap to work with you on a daily basis to stay accountable, not to us like telling you what to do, but to help to remind you about the intention that you made for yourself for a given day or a given period of time. And so we, we work with you via text message, which is a really low friction, kind of easy way to engage with our, with our planning and tracking experience. Um, but each day we'll, we'll text you, you know, hey, today your intention was, not, was to not have a drink. And so let's work together to stick to that intention rather than us saying like, hey, you shouldn't drink today, right? Which is a really, really different, you know, subtle but important shift in the mindset of, and, and kind of in the product approach um, that, that, we, that we've built. Um, so, so there's this planning process. There's this daily kind of tracking and accountability experience that happens via text message. And then we have a, a, a coaching team that is available to work with people who are looking for a little bit more help, advice, or just encouragement along the way to help them stay on track or to navigate specific situations like a tricky social outing or you know, an upcoming vacation, um, really helping folks kind of make plans and be thoughtful about how to approach those scenarios. And then finally, we have a member community where folks can kind of connect with one another on a daily basis to interact around shared reflection prompts, explore their own habits and their own relationship with drinking, and then most importantly, see that they're not alone on the journey. You know, as many as one in three people in the U.S. are drinking a heavy, you know, heavily as, as defined by the CDC. 47% of drinkers self-identify as wanting to, to cut back. And so the really important thing here is, is mindful drinking can be really lonely. And by connecting members with one another and demonstrating that you're not alone on this journey and that there's no shame in wanting to make a proactive investment in more balanced drinking, we can make a really, really big difference and create, you know, to turn a kind of negative and scary experience into one that's really positive and bright and sunny. And that's, that's really the philosophy behind, behind the Sunnyside brand. So cute, you guys. Oh my gosh. I'm so and so. I'm going to download the app. I'm going to tell everybody to download the app and like scream at my boyfriend, go download it. I think it's that's so cool and such an interactive way to kind of get people to, like you said, to not have shame around wanting to drink more mindfully. And I also think, too, probably the wording you use, like you mentioned, there's such a difference between being like, hey, don't drink today. You're not supposed to drink today versus the intention you set today was to not have any alcohol. Like, Let's see how we can find a way. I think even I personally, and I'm sure you can speak to this yourselves with the people in your lives, but I could like use that type of wording and know how to talk to people about it. Because I definitely, like as somebody who, you know, lives an alcohol-free lifestyle, I definitely have like gotten on my high horse a little bit. And I've gotten a little bit of this complex lately where I've been like, well, I don't drink. And now, you know, all of these articles are coming out, right? On like the New York Times and mm -hmm. about not drinking at all. And I was actually at my best friend's birthday party. We had all gone out to a show. Everyone was drunk, had a great time. We wake up and 
that that night, the New York Times or that morning, the New York Times had released their article on even a little bit of alcohol is so bad for you. And everyone's sending it to each other and we're all sitting at breakfast and they're just like so stressed out. And I'm like, yeah, well, I told you like, da, 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 da. And I think, but I, but I do think that like, okay, yes, that research is great. But like we're talking about right now, it's like, it's not necessarily a realistic lifestyle choice for so many people. And I think having that type of wording that makes somebody feel less shameful about the fact that they do enjoy cocktails and they do enjoy wine and they do want to have like, I think that alcohol is a beautiful thing if you want to enjoy it socially. And if it's something, you know, you want to use to celebrate a certain event And there's also so much flavor complexity to certain Mm -hmm. cocktails. Mm -hmm. And as somebody who's like a little amateur mixologist with my (laughs) mocktails, like I know that there's a huge world out there for actual, you know, for alcoholic mixologists. And Mm -hmm. I never like to turn that down. And I think that's why this app and kind of the, the mindset you guys have around this is so cool because it allows for all of that and for not drinking as much. That's right. And I think it's a really, there's a really interesting analogy here in terms of kind of sugar and junk food. Like we know that sugar is not good for us. We know that junk food is not good for us. Uh, And yet for most people, that's not a immediately cut down to zero or like no more sugar in my life. Right. And so even with the awareness that alcohol is not good for us, you know, we still believe that there's, that that the right approach for a lot of people is going to be balance and not zero. And I should preface this by saying that, you know, I grew up in a family with, with two parents who are completely sober. They went the AA route. And at Sunny, we have the utmost respect for the choice to not drink. But the simple fact is we need alternatives for folks who are not open, not interested, or simply not ready yet to, to cut down to zero. And without that middle ground, you know, most folks just do nothing. And, and that's been you know, a much worse outcome for a lot of people than if there were solutions that were kind of non-abstinence-based, but really did help you to kind of enjoy the complexities and the positives of alcohol and and eliminate those drinks that, you know, really aren't serving you. Um, and so, so I, I think it's, it's a really important point and, and another great case to kind of bring alcohol into the popular dialogue around wellness because there are so many parallels to, to kind of other areas of our health that we've, we've kind of collectively as a, as a culture learned, learned to manage a lot better than, than we currently manage our drinking for the most part. Yeah. And I have noticed in, you know, being a quote wellness influencer and kind of like in the wellness space itself right now, there is a lot of this polarity between like, so, okay. Five years ago, if you didn't drink, you had a problem. Right. And if you drank, you were normal. And now in the, in the wellness community, at least there seems to be this, you know, people it's getting cool not to drink. Right. So now Mm -hmm. if you drink, (laughs) <laughs> well, do you really care about your body? Do you really care about your mind? And if you don't drink, well, oh my gosh, like you're doing so much good for yourself. But I I do think that there's like a middle ground between that. And that is what tends to cause so much of the issue is that like, and this is what I saw when, when I looked at Sunnyside, like it's not all or nothing. It's not yeah. black and white. And people, I think it's for some of us, right? For some of us, but like, it is not like that for, for a lot of people. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and the, I mean, just the middle ground path is just so critical and, and has been so lacking in the history of how we've kind of treated alcohol, you know, since the 1930s really is, is there's been this kind of disease oriented philosophy that like, if you can't handle your alcohol, you're in this small percentage of people who have alcoholic 
who are alcoholics and have this disease and, and therefore sobriety is the only path. I'm like, everyone else, you're totally fine. Don't need to worry about it. Right. And like, wait, expand on is, that. Can you expand well, on the history of that? Because I'm so interested. Yeah. So a lot of the treatment model um, around alcohol is, is kind of grounded in Alcoholics Anonymous, which again is an incredibly valuable resource for, for tons and tons of people and has obviously helped you know, probably millions of people around the world to, to remove alcohol from their lives. But that disease theory ultimately leads to, I think, some pretty problematic thinking where you know, either you're one of the people with the disease or you're, you're not, right? And, and for the folks that then don't identify as you know, alcoholics, you know, basically the, the, the logical conclusion is that then I don't need to do anything for my drinking. And we're, as we're better understanding the impact that drinking has, you know, certainly there are folks who are you know, problematically dependent and, and even physically dependent for whom sobriety is the, the kind of optimal clinical outcome. And, and we don't take away from that. But there are lots of other people who, who refuse that kind of label of alcoholic and, and therefore don't do anything. Um, even though they may fall into, you know, what is called, I guess, the gray area of drinking, where they may be drinking a, health, a heavy amount, or it may be impacting areas of their health that, they, that they're not even connecting the dots on. And so by better understanding the role that alcohol plays, and with this new science that's emerging, you know, I think the move is not to polarize, right? The, the, the desired place is not to go to shift everything that like now sober is cool and, and any amount of drinking is, is ostracized but rather to recognize that, that we need a more stratified system for matching solutions with people's contexts. And, and Sunnyside fills a huge gap uh, in, in the kind of care options for folks that are seeking to, to make a change. So we really need to push this, this kind of non, non-binary middle ground and, and kind of accept folks for where they are and respect the decisions, whether the decision is to not drink or to drink mindfully or to kind of, you know, for, forge your own path. I just think, you know, we, we need to respect that there's, you know, infinite context, contexts along that spectrum. Um, mm-hmm. And we need lots of solutions to, to give folks the right pathway to, to improve their wellness when it comes to drinking. When I told my dad that I was starting a company around alcohol health, um, and I mentioned that we would focus on mindful drinking and like uh, moderation, his first response was, that's not possible. Hmm. And he went through the uh, AA school of thought. And um, of course, I, I support AA and anything that helps people find the goals that they need. But there has been more modern um, research. And I, I can't quote the article exactly, but more modern research that has shown that combination of more uh, things like mindfulness, medication, therapy can be way more effective than hmm. AA. And the the label that my father now has um, is a lifetime alcoholic. He still calls himself an alcoholic, even though he's been sober 30 years. And the shame that I see that that carries with him is, is heartbreaking. So yeah, I, that to me is, is representative of this all or nothing approach. He is still on the end of one of that, that spectrum and he's never going to give himself the sort of grace to move away from that. And it, that, that to, to me is, is is sad to see and i think 100 percent we need more we need more options in in that spectrum yeah so nick i think you nailed it i mean it's sort of like what i was saying earlier where i never wanted to call myself a heavy drinker therefore i would why would i need to cut back right um that would make no sense otherwise i'd be like calling myself a failure but the truth is a lot of us fall into this camp yeah Um, Yeah. and it's also a big part of the reason why sunnyside is is explicitly kind of not a sobriety service right we we talk about moderation and mindfulness not sobriety 
Because in our conversations with prospective customers, as soon as we started talking about, you know, even cutting back on drinking, there was this, this knee-jerk reaction that like, oh, I'm not, a, I'm not an alcoholic, I don't need that, right? And then mm. as you started to unpack those conversations a little bit more deeply, what you found is that like, oh, actually, like, I'm drinking a, a lot more than I necessarily want to be. I, I definitely have days that I lose to hangovers that like are kind of re regrettable. Um, and ultimately, like, yeah, I actually like, I, I think I could make a change to my habits, right? But as yeah. soon as you bring the word sobriety into the conversation, it's just so triggered and so loaded that for a lot of people, it's like it's turn off rather than explore. And I think that's why the the, the binary is, is really um, kind of problematic, even though sobriety is without question the right path for for some portion of drinkers. You know, I think the science is that is that, um, you know, one in three people in the U.S. are considered heavy drinkers by the, the CDC guidelines. And of that population, only about 10 percent. Um, are, are diagnosable with alcohol use disorder, which means that for 90% of heavy drinkers, it's not a, about problematic dependency necessarily, but more about kind of psychology and ingrained habits and, uh, and maybe a lack of education that's preventing them from, from making a change. So for those that are on the AUD you know, um, spectrum, you know, sobriety might be worth considering, but for the vast majority of heavy drinkers, it's, it's, it's really about kind of unpacking and, and rebuilding habits um, and, and that's where kind of Sunnyside steps in to, to fill a, a really meaningful gap. Totally. So I want to talk about kind of my last like big question for you guys is like men and alcohol usage. And I know this is going to be more of like an experiential type of question where, I mean, maybe you have research, maybe you don't. I have found that there seems to be like way more of a stigma around not drinking. And there's a lot of shame or pressure if you choose not to drink, if you're like going to go out and watch sports. And I don't know, I think, you know, I don't, I don't want to genderize the issue because I, you know, I, I know that that's like a sensitive subject, but I, but I am curious, like Ian, in the beginning, you talked about this idea of like making choices to hang out with your friends that don't involve alcohol. And so yeah. Less of like giving me, I mean, if you have research, I'd love to hear it, but I kind of want to know how you guys handle it, how you talk to friends about it, how, you know, if you see a friend struggling, do you like, do you approach them and what do you say to them? And when you do, you know, or at least in the beginning of your journey of kind of like drinking more mindfully, when you did show up to like a bar to catch the game or go, you know, out for the night or whatever it was, how did you let people know that you weren't going to drink and where, where did you finally find that moment of like, okay, I don't feel ashamed of this. This is something that like feels very natural and normal for me. And I'm, I'm now very confident in it. Yeah. Let, let me uh, jump in really quick. So the, the first thing that I, I think of is, is my, my father, the, who I just talked about. And I don't think he got the right amount of therapy and connection to get past, you know, some pride and shame issues whether those were based on his gender or not, I, I couldn't say for sure, but for sure, he's a pretty quiet, stoic guy. Um, mm. And he, he doesn't really reveal his feelings. Um, I would say I certainly have some of that, but I, I, I not quite all of it. So uh, I can break that. I can move, like change a little bit from generation to generation, but not a lot. I, I can also, one really lived experience for me is I have this really good friend and like our, weekly habit was to go out on a Thursday or Friday night and get like drinks. And we, at the next morning we would always be like, Oh, that was really fun to connect with you. Not really sure what we talked about. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Is that really truly connection? And it's it's totally not. So um, I actually, at the beginning of the pandemic, I we couldn't go to bars anymore, him and I. So we started uh, meeting at Golden Gate Park and we we weren't drinking. So we started actually talking and connecting and we deepened our friendship uh, many times over. And now we don't go out to bars anymore and we we rarely drink together. It took a pandemic to kind of break that rest. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I will say that like our, I think our tendency was to be like, hey, let's go meet in a dive bar and, and have, throw back some beers. Cause that felt kind of cool and romantic. And like, that's how we associated things. That was truly our habit. But it did, it, once we put the effort into it, we greatly improved our, our relationship. So those are sort of my experiences. I don't have any scientific research around it. Um, yeah. I went to a, to a very heavy drinking college. I went to UC Santa Barbara and, and a lot of the culture at UCSB revolved around drinking and not just drinking like socially, like drinking for sport. Like that was, mm-hmm. that was really kind of the, the culture of college. And most of the friends that I kind of you know, stuck with after college our relationship really, really heavily revolved around drinking. And to this day, getting together with that group is, is pretty challenging because our social norm is like, how fast can we get a drink in hand as soon as we, we connect, right? And, and, and I don't know that we, we have a language to, to connect with one another that doesn't revolve around, you know, having drinks and, you know, playing drinking games and, and that type of thing. Um, and so with this group, this was the, the group of people that I, I had the hardest time and really the biggest mental hurdle as I was starting on my own mindful drinking journey. You know, I had questions about whether I was going to even stay friends with them because there was, there was this whole connective tissue that I was trying to kind of minimize in my life. And what I found was, you know, finding the confidence and finding the trust to tell a few of them kind of individually that, that you know, this was something that I was working on. You know, it wasn't this like, oh, you suck or, or you're, you're kind of a wuss. It was more actually like, oh, I've been thinking about that too. And so I was super surprised to find that while it was totally unspoken, almost every person in the group that I talked to individually, you know, connected really quickly with that message is, you know, we're, we're, we're just are, you know, all approaching 35, you know, alcohol is having a really different impact on our lives these days. Uh, we're in different places. And yet many, you know, many of us were still drinking with those same habits that we developed in college. And so I was, I was really pleasantly surprised by the receptiveness of my friends to actually kind of to, to at least accept the conversation. And it took longer to actually then start to see, you know, the, the different habits kind of take shape in, in this group of people. So when I launched Sunnyside, anecdotally, like my college group of friends were, would joke left and right about like using the app to drink more and to see who could drink the most and, and track the most drinks and totally use yeah. the service, you know, in a, in a kind of aggressive and competitive way in the opposite, you know, direction that it was intended. But I started showing up to, bar- to barbecues and bringing non-alcoholic beers. And I started kind of modeling, like having a, an alcoholic beer and then switching into it to an unalcoholic beer. And being the one that wasn't sloppy at the end of the event was, was something that I think people started to notice. And people started to ask me, like, can I have one of those? Or, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, after their third or fourth beer, you know, switching, switching over and, and kind of taking that break. And so modeling the behavior and kind of being willing to show that vulnerability and to kind of, you know, be a champion for more mindful drinking, um, I, think, I think really did help over time to, to rub off on this group. And it's not to say that we don't have our heavy drinking moments and, you know, that, that hasn't gone away and I don't know that it will with this group of friends necessarily, but I certainly have, was, was surprised by the level of vulnerability that we were able to find with one another when, when we actually broached uh, the subject. You know, last point for us is that, that we are definitely seeing this in the data of Sunnyside users as well, that, that men are 
less uh, less willing to work on this, at least from, from what we've seen so far. And so the majority of our customers are women. And I think that the, the folks that we're working with for the most part are, are at least the, the data that we're seeing is demonstrating that, that, that women are, are, as of now, more willing to take a proactive step towards managing their drinking. And I don't know exactly why only about 30% of our customers are, are males, but there does seem to be some kind of gender signaling there that like, there's still a little bit more of a hurdle to, to break down, to, to break through, you know, in a more maybe like masculine population. Yeah. Definitely. I appreciate you guys both sharing those stories. And I think it's funny that you both kind of mentioned this idea of alcohol leading to connection or being intertwined with connection. It's like so, oh my God, it's like, what else do we do? If we can't go to the bar, what else am I supposed to do with this person? And then I think too, when you kind of become reliant on alcohol for a specific friendship, it's like, um, I'm not going to hang out with them and not drink. Like that sounds like a nightmare. I don't even know right. that I'm going to have to start all <laughs> over. Like, and so I think both what both of you said is so, is so, it's so telling to kind of like how the culture is shifting, but kind of the culture that we grew up in and, and what, uh, what, what connection meant. And even like going out and being like, well, I really want to connect with this person. I really want to hang out with them. So we need to go out and we need to drink. And I think mm-hmm. there are other options for connecting with people. There are other options for unwinding. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't mm-hmm. need to all, all roads lead to alcohol. It doesn't need to be that way. And I think right. too, like starting a new hobby with a friend being like, Hey, why don't we get into biking, going to Golden Gate Park, like mm-hmm. biking around or going on a walk. I think those things can provide as much, if not more connection than it can if you sit down and have a beer, which can also be a really like great time and really great to do with your friends, but not mm-hmm. necessarily all the time. And you don't need to like do it belligerently, I guess. Right. That's right. right. Yeah. And I think that speaks, what you just said speaks volumes to having a confidant or a, a partner or a friend in your mindful drinking journey who is on your level. Finding that person that you can do the healthy habits with, getting coffee, connecting over coffee, going on hikes, starting a new habit, that will be super meaningful in the mm-hmm. journey. Mm-hmm. Whereas possibly trying to change someone else's habits right away might not be as helpful. So it, yeah. it could help to shift uh, who you're seeing a little bit if you're if mm-hmm. you're finding that to be difficult when you're when you're cutting back. Definitely. Okay, so we're nearing the end of the show. I want to ask one more question to both you, Nick and Ian. What are your guys' daily practices? What brings you peace? And I want to know your favorite non-alcoholic drink to order at the bar or what you bring to the barbecue. Lay it on me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess I'll go first, Ian, and then I'll, I'll pass over to you. Go for it. Yeah, so um, I, I think my, my big daily practices that are kind of non, non-drinking related and they're helping, that have helped me to kind of replace alcohol as a, as a tool to unwind in my life is really kind of fresh air, sunlight, and, and spending time with my family. I've, I've got a, a one, one and a half year old son. And so I try every day in the afternoon to get outside, take, a, take him for a walk, and to just, and to just get that opportunity to, to breathe, to ideally get a little bit of a sweat going, and, um, and, and use that as a way to kind of release the relaxation that I'm looking for that previously used to be a glass of wine. And so that practice has been um, extremely helpful for me and one that, that really, really helps my overall mental state. Um, the other thing I'll say is, is you know, I've had a lot of success with with hot tea and, and, and especially like spicy ginger teas has been like a great replacement for me in the household. Um, 
where like it, it's so easy. It used to be so easy for me to just pop open a bottle of wine on a random day of the week. And just having something to hold and like a ritual around making it has, has been uh, extremely powerful for me and my wife as, as a tool as we've been working on kind of our more, uh, more mindful drinking journey. Um, in terms of kind of my, my favorite non-alcoholic beverages, um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan actually of, of non-alcoholic beers. I've been drinking the Athletic quite a bit, which I think is a great one. Um, and Better Day Brewing makes a, makes a mean coast that if I can find it in a bar, I will, I will often, uh, often choose nice. that one. More often than not, though, it ends up being, you know, Heineken Zero, because that's, that's the, yeah. the, more, the, more, the most you know, widespread one, at least from, from my experience in, in bars of late. Cool. Yeah, so uh, I got a Whoop last year, and it, uh, you've probably heard this, Olivia. Um, people who get Whoops realize very quickly how much alcohol impacts their sleep. Wait, what's a Whoop? <laughs> Okay. Oh my gosh. I'm not a good wellness blogger. What's going on? What is a whoop? I was like, oh my God, it's, you got a whoop. What's it's a, a whoop? screenless uh, fitness band that detects some okay. of your bio- biometrics. So it detects okay. the same things that an Apple watch does without all the distraction. Um, and apparently people think the readings that might be a little more accurate. So they have one key metric called heart rate variability, HRV. And it's the, it's like the golden metric. If that's good, it means you slept well. It means you're going to have a good day. Um, and people have started to like really try to understand how to optimize that. Alcohol is like the first thing that people list as the big, the big impactor. Mm. And not even kidding, one drink two hours before bed will impact your HRV, which we didn't really get into too much sleep and alcohol, of course, but like um, it's, it's real. And so you, once, once I've started to develop those habits and associate that with the metrics, it it really has me more focusing on sleep than um, sort of unwinding with, with alcohol. And what that means in the evenings is that my mindset becomes, how do I relax without any substances so that I increase my HRV and my rest the next morning? So it's <laughs> like my, my addiction is like optimized like for sleep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't have kids, but I love uh, cycling and, and working out and getting outside and spending time with my um, family. My twin brother does have uh, a son, so we spend a lot of time together. Favorite drink? Okay, so there's two. There's Lagunitas Hoppy Refresher. Okay. It's, it's killer. It's just a, it's basically like a, a sparkling water with some hops in it. And then the other one, which can open a bit of a can of worms here, it's a drink called Kava. Um, I'm, no. I think I might have mentioned that to you last time we chatted, Olivia. I can't remember for sure. So it's a um, it's a it's a drink made from a root, and it's it's been around for thousands of years, and it it creates um, a sense of euphoria and relaxation without the effects of alcohol. Um, there is a so, kava bar in Portland where yeah, I used there, to live, and I thought I was going to get fucked up when I went, and I was like, <laughs> I'm going to the kava bar tonight, and like got an Uber there, and after like an hour, I was like, I'm not really feeling anything. My stomach's kind of just feeling a little bit odd, but That's but right. it is nice. I, I've heard of people. I feel like I need to try it again. You Now I'm going to be on the whoop. I'm going to be on kava. You should be a wellness influencer again. This is like- I definitely shouldn't be a wellness influencer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait. I know that I said we were going to finish the podcast, but now I already know you just said- Oh, we didn't get to talk about sleep and alcohol. Now I'm wondering, I know everyone else is wondering because I will tell you probably my biggest, like you guys know, like biggest ick, that's like a very Gen Z thing to say. (laughs) My boyfriend's biggest ick about me probably is that I am like obsessed with going to sleep early and for my birthday weekend, he's like, what do you want to do? I'm like, well, Friday night, I want to go to bed early. And then Saturday night, I want to go to bed early. So I do want you, if you can in like a you know, a few minutes, whatever, five minutes, 
talk to me about sleep and alcohol because I do think this is really important and I want to hear about it. Yeah, we we definitely have some articles on our website where we go more into the science. I'm I don't have so I don't have the data pulled up right now, but there is absolutely um, research that ties uh, alcohol consumption to decreased sleep quality. And to the point I, I mentioned this earlier, so it's not just me and my whoop, but um, as little as one or two drinks can uh, uh, impact sleep quality significantly. It does mm-hmm. a lot of things to your heart rate. Your liver is processing the alcohol or the the sub the byproducts of alcohol throughout the night so that um, it's sort of distracting your body from getting into those deep rhythms of sleep. So it is real. And um, not to mention just waking up to have to use the bathroom. Like there, there's, there's yeah. lots mm-hmm. of like, you know, kind of obvious effects as well. Yeah. And um, sleep and anxiety can have a similar spiral effect um, or dependency effect with alcohol where people will start, they, they think that having that glass of wine or three is helping them sleep. Mm-hmm. And then they wake up a little unrested. So then they drink the wine again the next day. And it's these habits that actually, um, if you listen to Andrew Huberman's amazing podcast on the science of alcohol, he talks about the sort of serotonin releases that are actually driving a lot of those end of day cravings. So this is where it gets really interesting. You are in control, but you're also almost not in control. Your brain wants that wine to put you to sleep and then it actually disrupts your sleep. And this also plays into the cycle of anxiety. So um, I found when I got more deeply educated about what was happening there, that I was way more empowered to make change. So I think uh, people should really seek out the the deep scientific education around sleep, anxiety, and alcohol so that they don't feel alone, that they don't feel like, why am I drinking even though it causes me anxiety? Um, So Thanks for sharing that. Oh yeah, Nick, did you want to say something? Yeah, no, no, Ian. I think you did a great job of kind of ex- explaining the, the the science. You know, one one tip that I'll add, which which I found really effective, and I, and there is some kind of science backing this up, is is really trying to leave a, a as long a gap as possible between the mm-hmm. last drink and going to sleep. And so, you know, as as a, as a tip for the for the listeners, um, one thing that that really works um, in in my kind of my my drinking routine when when I am drinking alcohol is making sure that I've got at least two hours from the last sip of alcohol before I go to sleep and giving your body some active time to process, using the bathroom a couple times, hydrating over the course of, of, of that window where, where you're kind of no longer con- uh, consuming alcohol, for me has been, um, has made a huge impact on the quality of my sleep um, and more importantly on how I feel the next day, right? Obviously mm-hmm. very tightly linked, but um, hangover reduction and sleep quality improvement are, are dramatically improved by, by having that gap. Now, of course, if you've had, you know, 10 drinks waiting a couple hours probably isn't going to, you know, minimize the negative or eliminate the negative effects, but a combination of kind of like mindful consumption and not overdoing it and giving yourself some time to actively and process in an, in an awake state can really improve the quality of sleep and the way that you feel the next day. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll leave it at that as, as kind of a, a little actionable, actionable sunny side uh, tidbit. I love it. So you're saying wine at breakfast and lunch and not you find that as, as you become a parent as well. So when you when you've got a one year old, yeah. and you just really can't afford to be hungover. Uh, you know, parenting is just the worst thing ever. So the afternoon oh. beers are just are, are, are perfect. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. I, I, OK, I actually read something that um, supported their conclusion was that day drinking is the healthiest. They weren't. <laughs> Oh I, I, I can't cite, I, can't, I don't know the exact source, but it was kind of a humorous uh, conclusion. So I, I don't think we recommend that, but. Amazing. Uh, I, 
Well, take everyone take what you will from the show. Um, <laughs> but where can everybody find Sunnyside? Where can we find you guys, the app? What do let us know? Yeah, so so you can find us at sunnyside.co, so sunnyside.co, um, or on the app store. Um, you can you can download the app. Um, for Android users, Android um, go, going to the website and finding us at sunnyside.co, there's there's a great web experience and, and products so you can you can totally use um, from from Android as well. Um, I can be reached at nick at sunnyside.co if, if you have any questions or, or want to reach out, um, and Ian can can share his info too. Yep, uh, Ian at sunnyside.co. We're we're working on our Instagrams and TikToks and educating people there. So if you want to follow us uh, on TikTok, we're you know we'd love that. Cool. Thanks, and, guys. Uh, and, and, and anyone can sign up for a, for a 15-day free trial. Um, so you can you can check it out with no commitment. And uh, we'd love to work with you. So I'm excited to, to have you check it out and, and hopefully to, uh, to help you on your mindful drinking journey. Cool. Thank you guys so much. Well, thank you so much. It was, it was a pleasure to be here. <laughs>